Would you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. So over the last four weeks, we have been learning some great truths from the Bible, and we have been applying them specifically to our relationships. One of the things that I've seen over my my years of ministry, knowing my own personal life, and also, in particular, what I have experienced and seen in the church local, in the church global, and in our in our world, is that we have a way of sabotaging relationships, deeply affecting uh, the way that we interact with one another, because, not because politics are prickly, not because of COVID, but because particularly our own hearts. So we have learned through this process that God actually resists the proud, but he gives grace to the, the humble. We've learned that an angry person does not even produce the righteousness of God. We've learned that we are called to quickly, promptly resolve conflicts, or you will give the devil actually a foothold for more evil. And we also learned last week, looking at James, that we are called to be a people who speak redemptively. Now, I've had some people say that this has been a, a really great series. It's been really good for my heart. I've had other people who have said this feels like surgery. Really, it's been painful. It has been doing a number on my heart, my relationship, my marriage. And, but hopefully, my prayer is that because this is the Word of God, and we know that it is true, I pray that it will be painfully helpful. That it will actually help you grow in how we engage in God-glorifying, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered relationships. That is my desire. So, looking at this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Would you please stand as we read God's holy and inspired word? And before we read, we are going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would take away our blindness and show us Christ and show us ourselves in light of Christ. Show us our need and how Jesus is the answer to absolutely everything that we need. Show us our sin. Show us our full atonement that we have received in in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God, would you bring us by your word to Christ anew. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or nor foolish talk nor crude joking 
which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning, we are going to be taking up the topic of discontent, being discontent, or covetousness. Now the problem that I believe that we all face, whether we recognize it or not, is the fact that we are content with things which, with which we should be discontent with. We're often really content with things that God says, you should not be content with that. And we find ourselves discontent with things that we should be content with. Spiritually, this misplaced contentment is extremely dangerous. The Bible calls each and every one of us to a, a certain kind of holy discontentment. The Bible tells us that we should be discontent with our, our spiritual condition. Philippians chapter 3 says, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. It's this like, leave that behind, move forward. And Paul's saying, get going. Or, or we should be content with our lot in life, where we are at. And Philippians chapter 4 says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. Whatever lot I'm in. Wherever I'm at. I need to learn how to be content. So Ephesians 5 begins with this kind of this call. You notice what's the first word in Ephesians 5 verse 1? Therefore. So in light of everything that he has talked about in the first four chapters... Ephesians 5 says, now, because of that, in light of you putting on the new self, the old is gone, the new has come, listen, you need to pursue this new life. And that, that calling includes a certain holy discontentment or a yearning for, for something more. Every one of us should have this yearning, this desire to, for something more. And he says specifically, being an imitator of God. Somebody who is walking in love. That is taking sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness seriously. Somebody who is not spoiling relationships with filthiness or foolish talk or, or crude joking. Listen, that's what you should be pushing for. You should be discontent with those things. But longing for the new self. The new man, the new woman. So in other words, a, a new person in Christ is discontent with the right things. It means that you are discontent about how much you are an, an imitator with God. How much you walk in love and sinful things in your life. In other words, holy discontentment means that you are intolerant when it comes to sin and spiritual stagnation. Contentment in Christ means that you have a certain spiritual discontentment. When you are satisfied in Christ, there are certain areas 
in your life where you are discontent. And Paul aims to create a real urgency in our hearts this morning over certain issues. And that is why he talks so terribly strongly in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. That is strong language. The problem with sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness is the fact that they are far too easily tolerated. Far too easy. We, we are comfortable with our immorality. We, we justify our impurity. We're content with our covetousness. And Paul wants us to see that covetousness is very serious, even indicating or characterizing it by means that you may have an inheritance with Christ if that is your heart. If you are coveting, maybe your heart will not inherit the kingdom of Christ or God. In other words, it is actually dangerous. It's dangerous for your soul to be content with covetousness. It's dangerous. So covetousness is familiar sin. It's one that many of us are, might not even notice, but it's far more complicated and dangerous than we often realize. Getting a grip on our contentment means, or contentment with covetousness, means that we have to understand why it is so terribly devastating. And we'll get to our relationships in a little bit. But first we have to understand this foundation of why covetousness is actually devastating to our souls. So first, there's three things. First, it always wants more. Always wants more. To be covetous by definition means to desire more, to want more. In Ephesians 5, the, the, the word translated as covetous means eager to have more. Or yearning for what belongs to others. It's a desire for for anything. And the right? We we drive through some of those neighborhoods and go, huh? We live in a ranch. That's it. And they have that? Sheesh. We live in an apartment? Look at that house. We shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Adultery is not an issue in our world, is it? Oh, yes it is. His male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Your lot in life. Their position. Whatever is your neighbor's, you should not be coveting it. And so the New Testament is particularly applied to, uh, it's, a, it's applied to the New Testament when it comes to material possession. Luke chapter 12 says this, take care and be on guard, on your guard against all covetousness. For your life, one's life, does not consist in the 
abundance of possessions. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. The, the sole sum of you is not calculated by what you have, of what you have accumulated. And then that's one of the, the things as a former educator, it's, I, I've always found myself pushing up against, and as a, a daughter going off to college, man, your, your sole sum is not about what you can gather up. You don't go off to college, you don't go off to school and get a greater education so that you can have more. As Christians, as Reformed Christians, we need to have a Christian worldview and just say, the reason that I go off to college is to further God's kingdom in this world with whatever talents, whatever means, whatever relationships I have. Now, if I financially am blessed in that process, praise be to God. But ultimately, the purpose is furthering His kingdom. And the opposite... Covetousness is what? Contentment. It's being content. And the scripture calls us to embrace a, a mindset and a lifestyle that reflects control over our desires for more. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember, that we, we will come back to that, that last little phrase. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So covetous by, by nature is, its definition is, an always, it's always out for more. One, if I could just have one more. If I could just have just one more. Maybe just one more, just one more is never going to be enough. And we will, we'll see this in, in a little bit. It is a familiar trap laid by the enemy. So that's the first thing. Covetousness is disastrous because it is always out for more. But here's the second problem. And this one is where it gets a little bit more grave, if you will. It it. Covetousness is actually a worship problem. That last phrase of Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's really important and it relates to this, this reason why covetousness is so disastrous. The opposite of covetousness is, is living in the reality or, or knowing that God will never leave us and that He will never forsake us. God is enough. So do, do you remember what Paul said about covetousness in Ephesians 5 verse 5? He said that he who is covetous, that is an idolater. Huh. Paul is intentional with adding that thought, that parenthetical kind of thought. He links covetousness with idolatry. And the real issue with covetousness or the lack of contentment is really, it is misdirected worship. Therefore, it's, it's clear the connection between our relationship with God and covetousness. Covetousness is connected to worship in, in that it places our security, it places our joy, it places our satisfaction in something other than 
God. When I desire all these other things, it's your way of saying, God, you're not enough. You are not enough. I need this. And so covetousness is a worship problem that expresses itself through desire for more. In other places, objects of worship always demand more. With, with God, that's a good thing. I'm always desiring more of God. That's a good thing. But when it comes to things like money, possessions, popularity, attractiveness, uh, status, power, etc., it is a terrible sin. The problem is not just desire, friends. These objects actually take control of us. And they become our functional gods. They tell us what is actually good. What actually we should want. And we should want more of that. And ultimately, that is false worship. And we need to see it for what it is. But that's not, that's not, it's not just a worship problem. It is also, ultimately, it comes down to a belief problem. Here's how I would define covetousness. Believing that what you have in, from, and through God is not as satisfying as what you could have in, from, and through something else. That's what covetousness is. The problem with covetousness is that it believes that, that what God is and what He has supplied is not as satisfying as something else. Do we see that in our culture? Do you see that in your life? Yeah, I, I got to show up to church on Sunday. It's a good thing. But man, I really give my, all, my, all my, my energy to my work, to my relationships, to my advancement, to my cause. And that subtly, we might not recognize it, but that subtly is saying, God, I really don't believe that you're enough. That you're not enough. Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. In other words, covetousness betrays God by believing that there is something more satisfying that that who God is or, or what He has personally supplied you as His child. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? God! So the underlying challenge with being covetous is that what, we, what do we really believe? What do we really believe? Is God sufficient or not? Will He meet our needs or not? Is he truly satisfying? Is he enough for me? Can we really be happy in him? Covetousness is a heart that is divided between two separate gods. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, if, if you're ever looking for just some good reading, 
by Martin Lloyd-Jones is great stuff. But he, he, when looking at Ephesians chapter 5, his commentary, he wrote this. It does not matter what it is. Anything that you and I tend to set up as the big thing, the central thing in our lives, the thing about which we think and dream, the thing that engages our imagine, imagination, the thing that we live for, the thing that gives us the biggest thrill, if it is anything other than God, it is idolatry. So what is it that is your big thing? What is the, really, honestly, what is the central thing in your life? What is the thing that you think about, that you dream about? What is the thing that just engages your imagination? What is the thing that you find yourself living for? What is the thing that gives you just the biggest thrill when you're, you're in the midst of that? I, I, I love this. If it is anything other than God, it's idolatry. And can you see that covetousness is taken so seriously that it is linked to idolatry? It's like uh, the, the, the people that lived uh, decades and uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, bowing down between, before like wooden things and uh, stone things, things carved with their hands. Paul is saying, linking and just saying, listen, what you're doing is like that whether you recognize it or not. And it is a devastating sin because it specifically relates to our relationship with God. And a lack of contentment is, is a desire, if you will, to, to run my own life. It, it, it makes my expectations, it makes my desires, and wants to, me to even be preeminent over God's desires and design. Ultimately, covetousness almost makes us God-like. So I haven't really said anything about relationships yet. This is supposed to be kind of a relationship series. And just so you know, that was by design. But you will never understand how discontentment or covetousness or jealousy or envy affects your relationships until you really understand what is at the core of this heart issue. Covetousness is similar to pride in that it is sneaky and it is subtle and it is often in the background kind of lurking. It's silent and it is absolutely deadly. So here are some of the, uh, the effects, the real effects of covetousness on relationships. Here's the first one. It drains your soul. It drains your soul. Listen, relationships were created by God and they, they only really work when they are done God's way in, according to His design. A right relationship with God is the absolute foundation for a right relationship with one another have to be God's kind of person before you can be God's kind of parent or partner or friend. 
You have to be God's kind of person to be ready for a significant relationship or ready to deal with hard people to pursue reconciliation. You have to be God's kind of person to do those things. But covetousness drains your ability to do that. Proverbs 14.30. I I love Proverbs uh, 14.30. Listen to what it says. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. But envy makes the bones rot. Envy, the author is saying, is a hidden sin that slowly destroys you from the inside out. It makes you rot. You may not smell the stench of envy or covetousness or discontentment right now, But my friends, it will eventually surface. And everyone around you will go, whoa, something is dying here. And on top of that, covetousness chokes out the influence of God in your life. That's what it does. In the parable of the sower, you know, it gives this different picture of a a sower sowing perfectly good seed on different areas of soil. Jesus describes one of the soils this way. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. There's a direct connection between the life of your soul and covetousness. Things, stuff, money, promotions, and a host of other things competes for our hearts. And when they usurp God, they erode the foundation of everything. Friends, covetousness drains your soul. It exhausts you. And you lose your sensitivity to God and your sensitivity to others. But here's the second thing that it does. It is never satisfied. There's a real danger when it comes to envy, when it comes to jealousy and covetousness and discontentment, where you can live your life with a constant orientation towards more. I want more. And this is, this is implicit in the definition of covetousness, but you need to see how it affects relationships. In his blog, Tim Challies uh, describes envy as it truly is. Listen, just listen to this. Envy is unique among the sins in that you never, ever enjoy it. Envy never brings any satisfaction. If you commit the sin of adultery, you enjoy the fleeting pleasures of the flesh. If you commit the sin of gluttony, you enjoy the taste of food while it slides down your throat. These are very fleeting and fleshly pleasures, but they are pleasures still. Envy only and ever makes you more miserable than you were before. Because what does envy do? It eats you from the inside out. 
It makes us miserable. It makes us bitter toward one another. And it brings no pleasure. And it brings no satisfaction. It's a sin that is rooted deep, deep in each of our hearts. And it must be addressed on a daily basis. We must seek to fight it before it destroys us and before it brings division to the body of Christ. Because covetousness does not have to be just about money, wanting more money, wanting more stuff, wanting that next boat, wanting that next ocean. It relates to anything that you have. It is devastating to live with someone or to try to have a relationship with someone who is never satisfied. It is exhausting. You, they, they try different jobs. They try different cities. They try different churches. They try different friends. They try different cars. They try different schools. Different hairstyles. Wouldn't know anything about it. Clothes and lovers because they are looking for something more. They end up destroying everything. Everything in their yearning for more. Dorothy Sayers in her writing said this. Envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level them down. <laughs> and the words constantly in the mouth are my rights and my wrongs. At its very best, envy is a climber and a snob. At its worst, it is a destroyer. Rather than have anybody happier than itself, it will see all of us miserable together. It's never satisfied. And if I can't have it, neither will you. That's how it works. So envy, discontentment, covetousness, dissatisfaction is the treadmill that just never stops. It never stops. But that's not it. It's also, we find that it is the core of our conflict. The third, it, 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 when it comes to conflict, covetous people frequently have conflicts because of their insatiable desires that are always resisted by somebody else. And that creates a conflict within. Uh, that's what James chapter 4 says. He says, do you know what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so what do you do? You murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so what do you do? You fight, and you quarrel. This passage is absolutely clear. The reason for fights and quarrels is because there is a hindered desire or an unrealized covetousness. We, we want to have, and, and we will do just about anything to have it. Ultimately, the, the problem is not the conflict. That is just the fruit. The real problem, ultimately, it, is covetousness. The problem is that we desire... And if you aren't careful, your covetousness, your desire for what they have will kill your relationships. 
And that's not it. Is this kind of depressing? It is. Because we're talking about sin, right? This should be one of the most depressing subjects we talk about. But covetousness gives rise to even more sins. It's like the gateway drug, right? First Timothy 6 says this, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So covetousness creates senseless and harmless kind of desires and it plunges people. And you've probably seen this where what you thought might be a good desire has led to this, to this, to this and they are now ruined. Desires have a way of destroying people. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your covetousness, your desires, your discontent, your envy has led you ultimately into a bondage. You, you wanted something more. Maybe it was a, a corner office. Maybe it was more money. Maybe it was a bigger house. Maybe a fancier car. Maybe a better body. Maybe a more put-together family. Maybe, a, maybe the thing that you desire is a job or a position that has more perks. You look at them and go, wow, I wish I had your lifestyle. I wish I had your job because look at what you can do. Or maybe it's a, a man who understands you or a woman who meets your need or a drug that makes you feel better. You always want more, and you have seen that that desire leads to so much destruction in its wake. A desire for more. Listen, covetousness is never static. It demands to be fed. And once you start feeding it, it is hard to stop. The desire for more creates other sins because you will just have to do almost anything to get what you want. And one day you are going to wake up going, what was I thinking? What brought me here? Discontentment, envy, and covetousness are dangerous to relationships. Trying to love someone, even trying to love someone who, who is a, linking, a leaking love tank it's hard, it's painful, and it's exhausting. It's, it's like trying to, to fill their heart because they're longing for this or that. And it's like trying to fill their heart with one glass at a time and they are nothing but a swimming pool. And there's nothing you can do. So this is absolutely devastating news for us. You, you've heard everything and you're going, I am screwed. Because in some ways, I find myself coveting, desiring, or envious, or I'm discontent with a station in my life, and I look to other people, people maybe even around you, people that you work with, people that you're friends with, or who have, other mar have a marriage, and you go, I want that! And you find yourself looking at them and going, I want it! And there's something in your heart that goes, oh, you can't ever have it, but keep working at it. Get it! 
So what do we do with this devastating news about discontentment? I want to point you to Christ. He's the only hope that you have who is able to fill the need of your heart, friends. And here's three ways I want to point you to Christ to meet your needs. And the first one is this. I want you to remember your identity in Christ. Remember, who we are in Christ ultimately defines who you are. You are of great worth, of great value. Why? Because Christ died for you. He gave His life. The Son of God, the perfect God, becoming man, sinless, gave up His entire life for you. And now your identity in Christ is what is to give you and me security and confidence in who we are. And remember this. Who we are in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, there is no need to envy or to, be, to covet what our brothers and sisters have because we rest in Christ's work. It's hard to be envious when we remember that all we are and all we have is from Christ. It's hard to be envious when we remember our sin cost Christ absolutely everything. He spent it all on you. It's hard to be envious when remember we remember that we were darkness. We were dead. But now we have light and life in Christ. It's hard to be envious when we remember, man, I was dead in my trespass, but now I am alive. I am flourishing in Christ. It's hard to be envious when we were, remember, we were once slaves to this world. Now, what are we? We're adopted children. It's hard to be envious. We must remember that our worth is not wrapped up in our giftings, our station in life, or anything else. Your worth is wrapped in Christ. Remember that. So let's fight envy with thanksgiving instead. Thanks to God. I have no idea why I'm here, why I'm doing this. But you know what? God has placed me here, and my worth is not found in my job. It's not found in my home. It's not found in my spouse. It's not found in my children. It's found in Christ. That is where my worth is found. But also remember this, friends, and this applies to our church. We are to rest in your role in this body. And the early church struggled with envy. Paul, in his letters to Corinth and his letters to Rome, just reminds them. Not only does Paul remind them of their identity in Christ, but he reassures them to rest in the roles that each person has been given. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. Who is worth it all? Who gives you your identity? God. Right? Jesus. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Listen, Paul says, 
I've given you all, the, the Spirit has given you all kinds of gifts, all kinds of services, all kinds of activities that are given to you by the Spirit for, for good. And he's making this point. We are all different. We're all different. And my friends, that is good. We do not want a church filled with Pauls. You don't want more of me. I mean, I'm good looking. I'm charismatic. I'm a decent preacher. I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. But you don't want more of me. You don't want more of me. Listen, without the, each other's gifts, we would be actually incomplete. Without you, this church would be incomplete. We would be incapable, incapable of being the body of Christ. When each of us functions in our role, which is designed for us, we work harmoniously. So don't envy each other. Don't envy their position. Don't envy what they can and cannot do. Celebrate it. Thank God for so-and-so being able to do that. I, I, I could never do that, and nor should I ever want to. But hell, oh, wow, that is a gift from God. God, would you use me and my gifts and my talents? We must rest in our roles, in our gifting, knowing that they are given to us by God's design for the good of the church. And friends, here, here's the last thing for us to kind of overcome the grip of covetousness, of discontentment and envy. The first two might be easier because they kind of stick up here in the head it's like oh yeah i can buy into that this is where the rubber meets the road we're called to repent to one another and i i mean genuinely one of our values as a church and this has not been repeated enough is kind of the three c's christ Community and cause. Christ is the center of everything that we do. Community is what we are called to be building. And the cause is what God calls us to be about as we leave. And so we, friends, we, we are a community of faith. A family of faith. We are a band of brothers and sisters fighting for the advancement of the kingdom of God here in Manhattan and beyond. We all belong, or someday some of you will belong, belong to this church. And we all have different and unique roles. But the enemy is absolutely crafty. We are in a battle against a strong enemy and one of his main tools is disunity. He can drive division between each of us and then he can make our ministries less effective. So we must fight against our desire to compare or to be envious and we must fight for unity. And James, James uh, 3.16 says this, where Jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder and every vile practice. Envy breeds bitterness. Discontentment breeds bitterness. So we need to repent to one another. 
when envy arises within us. We, we, we cannot allow sin, the sin of envy, the sin of covetousness, the sin of discontentment to take root in our hearts because it will bring about division. It will. I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own marriage, in my relationships, in our church. Listen, if you are harboring any jealousy, any envy in your heart towards someone, whether they be a family member, a co-worker, a peer, a, a fellow church member, you need to confess it. Bring it into the light and ask for forgiveness. But don't just leave it there. Don't just say, hey, would you forgive me? I, I find myself being envious about your job and all the perks that you have. Or I find myself envious because of your marriage. And the, don't just do that. that. That is great, and that's the first step. Do the next step. Encourage them. Praise the Lord for their giftings. Praise God for their marriage, their friendship. They're, they're able to use this talent, whatever it is. Praise God for it. Instead of letting the bitterness rise, let your praises rise to God. That's a nice change, isn't it? Turn your envy to encouragement. This is how we fight envy in our hearts, in our relationships. We turn our envy, our discontent, all that into praise, into encouragement. So, that's exactly what the Hebrews of, uh, the author of Hebrews 10 wrote to the church. Let's hold fast. Us, let us hold fast to this confession of hope without wavering. For he who is, who promised is faithful. He's actually good to his word. And let us consider, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, some are in the habit, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, our relationships are vital. Our friendships in the gospel are vital. So I want to encourage you. I am imploring, I am pleading with you. As a fellow brother and as your pastor, do not allow sin, the sin of pride, to grab hold of your heart. Do not allow anger to stay for long. Resolve your conflict quickly. If not, it just leads to more pain and destruction and disunity. Use your words to to glorify God and to build up one another. Don't covet what isn't yours. God made you perfect. You are a gift. Use that gift. Amen? I pray that we as a church will grow in our relationships and our love for one another. Let's pray.